Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Northridge Church. If you're a guest, we certainly are glad to have you. And we're in this series called Survival Guide for the Zombie Apocalypse. And I have to tell you, in the fictional world of a zombie apocalypse, if you're going to survive, you've got to keep your head. I mean, if you watch any zombie story, you know people get all messed up when they lose their head because here's what's going to happen they're going to show up unexpectedly they're going to show up when you're not expecting it and when they do if you're not ready if you're not alert you're going to lose your head you're going to panic and and people in these stories they they literally stop thinking clearly and they just start reacting and their reaction is almost always wrong and it leads to people losing their lives. We kind of saw it in the video our team has put together for this series just now. I mean, these, these guys came out of a building, got confronted by zombies, they lost their heads, they started running, they went all the way through, and then, you know, at the end, I mean, the inference was there, we didn't see the, the munch fest, but we, we kind of knew these guys were going down. But I don't, know, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but I, I want to show you something in the video. There, there was actually... There was actually a hole in the fence. Uh, um, so these guys got munched, and they could have escaped through the hole. Now, I'm curious, how many of you saw the hole in the fence before I said something about it? The rest of you would have gone down for dinner. That's just kind of where it's at. And that's really a pretty good metaphor of real life, if you think about it. We, we experience these unexpected moments. We lose our heads, even if just for a moment, and it leads to a lot of the bad choices we make. It leads to a lot of the losses that we experience. And what you need to understand is that the most powerful application of this fictional world of a zombie apocalypse is to our spiritual lives. The same is true spiritually as we see in the stories. As long as things are running smoothly, as long as things are going pretty well, life's good, life's easy, no problems. But when trouble comes... And you have to know this. It almost always shows up unexpectedly. That's when we start messing up. We, we get distracted. We lose focus. We, we lose our awareness. We stop thinking correctly. And that's when we start missing what we're supposed to be doing. It's interesting to me that the most common car horn key is F. It's really interesting that the average life of an eyelash is five months. Now, I'm curious, how many of you, in the wake of Mr. Zombie Man, really heard what I just said? Okay, how many think you heard what I just said? Okay, you heard the nonsense. All right, well, here's the thing. I want to take a look back, show you what I just said, and see if you really heard it. It's interesting to me that the most common car horn key is F. It's really interesting that the average life of an eyelash is five months. Now, let's be honest, really, seriously. How many of you did not hear me say that? You didn't hear me say it. And then the other half of you are liars? Okay, yeah. well, what happened is Mr. Zombie came out and distracted many of you from hearing it. To be honest, to be honest, 
Why do we miss things in life? Why, why are we so unaware? Why do we miss the hole in the fence? Why do we get locked into a pattern as if that's all we can do and there's no escape when God tells us there's always escape? It's, it's because we get distracted. Things come up that we're not expecting and, and divert our attention and we're not able to look and, and we're missing things that we should get in normal times of life. We lose focus and think about this. You came here this morning. I mean, you set aside all kinds of things you could be doing. This is going to be probably the best day Michigan has ever experienced in the history of the world. And, and you came here to hear a, a spiritual talk, to, to hear from God, hopefully. And that's how, that's how easily you can be distracted from it. You let some guy dressed up in zombie makeup keep you from hearing what God might have for you. Now, here's the good news. I threw out lines that did not matter. You know, eyelashes and uh, car horns just don't matter. But, but we in life often miss what God has for us because we're so distracted by what's going on, especially when it's trouble. This happens in our spiritual lives. We get distracted. We lose our heads, and we miss the best that God has for us. So this weekend, here's the truth that I want to kind of stamp into our minds and hearts. You have to keep your head spiritually to survive in this world. Yet you have to keep your head if you're going to survive in this world spiritually. Uh, let's look at what God says about this. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's saying, if you conform to the patterns of this world, if, if you live in a distracted, high-stress unfocused way, like most people in this world, you're going to go down. So don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Keep your head. Let God transform how you think. Then when you're keeping your head, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's really good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, we often question what God has for us, but it's because we're not experiencing what God has for us. We're experiencing what we make for ourselves. And if we want to experience the good and the the perfect and the unbelievable awesome will of God in our lives, then we have to keep our heads. Look at what Paul says again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if you're going to experience anything excellent, if, if your life is going to equal the worth that God has given it, it's going to be praiseworthy, you have to think about these things. But these aren't the things we normally think about. We lose our heads. We're undistracted. We often don't think about what's true. We think about what's convenient or, or what's politically correct or what people are telling us we should believe. We don't often think about what's noble and right and pure and lovely. We think about so many other things, and it's because we've been so distracted by the darkness in this world, and we have to learn to keep our heads. So I, I just want to throw out some, some biblical ideas about how in this very dark and dangerous and destructive world where, where the least of our concerns is a made-up zombie, but things are going to happen to keep us away from what God has for us. I want to give you principles for keeping your head spiritually. Is that fair enough? And these are things that you can unwrap into your life. If we're going to keep our heads spiritually, you need to think correctly about yourself. That's where it should start. You need to think correctly about yourself. And if we're 
genuinely honest with one another. And I know we're in church and we've been taught not to be honest in church. We've been taught to fake it until we make it, that kind of thing. But if we, if we, we lose all the religious baggage we've been given and we, we get honest, we'd have to admit that because of all the things that have been said to us, all the things that have been done to us, all the things that, that we've experienced in life, we've, we've gotten a distorted view of ourselves. And so I want to give you the example from Scripture, uh, at least one example, where, where a guy literally started coming to grips with the correct view of himself, and as a result, he became a great individual. His name was Paul. Started out as Saul of Tarsus, but he became the Apostle Paul. And, and this guy, this one guy, I mean, did so much to change the world. He's, he's changed my life. He's changed many of our lives. He's... He's the author of a good portion of the New Testament of the Bible. And he couldn't have done it if he hadn't believed in himself. And he, he ultimately came to the point where he believed himself in spite of the fact that he knew his weaknesses. Look, at, I just want to read you a couple of passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. Paul says, But I do not think I am in the least inferior, lesser than, those whom you look to as super apostles. Paul's putting on a defense for his own ministry. And you see, unlike Peter and James and John and Andrew and guys like that, the original 12, Paul didn't walk with Jesus when he was on this planet. Paul, Paul wasn't personally mentored by Jesus when Jesus was on this planet. Paul came along after Jesus had been crucified and buried and rose again. Now, he was on the planet at those times, but he was an enemy of all those things. He was a Pharisee. He, he didn't buy into the whole Jesus thing, but... But as he was persecuting those who were following Jesus after Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus showed up and said, you're mine. I mean, literally confronted Paul, and Paul repented and turned to faith in Jesus, and his entire life was transformed. And, and people were starting to question his ministry. Who are you? You didn't walk with Jesus. You weren't mentored by Jesus. You weren't around in the day. I mean, so many of these others were, and, and they're better apostles than you. And, and he... he he could have fallen to that, and we do this often. People disparage us. Who are you to tell me this? Who are you to know this? You know, who are you in this area? And, and why should I listen to you? And that's what they were doing to him. And, and he says, I, I'm going to tell you right now. I am in no way lesser than or inferior to those super apostles. God's called me. God's gifted me. I know what he wants for me, and I have something for you. He had the correct view of himself. And many of us don't have the courage we need, don't have the confidence that we need, and don't seize the potential of our lives because we have the wrong view of ourselves. We've let the world tell us we're nothing, we're incapable, we're not worthy. And we need to get a correct view of ourselves. And it didn't end there. Look at Philippians chapter 1, and, and you need to know he's in prison, and he changed the world, basically, in prison. But look what he says in verse 22, and then I'll skip to a couple others. If I'm going to go on living in the body, he, he was in prison, he thought he was going to be killed. I mean, everybody thought, he's in prison, he's going down. But look at what happens. He starts negotiating through that idea about him dying. He says, if I'm going to go on living in the body, if, if I don't get killed here, if I don't get taken out, I'm going to tell you what it's going to mean. It's going to mean fruitful labor for me. If God lets me live, I'm going to tell you it won't be a waste of time. I'll be effective. My ministry will be fruitful. My life will be meaningful. I'll make a difference. And then he jumps in verse 25, convinced of this, convinced that I know that I will make a big difference if God lets me live. I believe I'm going to remain. I don't think he's going to take me out. I think I'm going to continue with all of you. And here's why. I believe God's going to let me live so that your faith can progress and your joy in the faith can be magnified. 
So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on economy. I, he, he started getting the point going, I don't think I'm going to die after all. Because you need me, I'm awesome. Your joy and your faith will be better with me than without me. So I think God's going to let me live. Now that's pretty confident. It's like me standing here and saying, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm the most valuable thing you've got in your life, I'm going to tell you. I think God's going to let me live to be 150 because what would you be without me? I mean, that's like, that's, whew, that's pretty confident stuff. But, but I want you to know it's not ego-driven. It's not like he's got this false concept of himself. And, and see, we fail to view ourselves correctly in two ways. Most of us fail to see the value we have and the fact that we can make a difference. But some of us believe that we're better than everybody else and we're ego-driven, that, that you know we've earned the right to be used by God or that... that God could only wish he could have us on his team. And so we have these two sides. But Paul's not that way. He is confident. He is courageous. But look at his other side. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Here's a trustworthy saying, he says. And it deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world for one reason, to save sinners. That's why he came, to save sinners. To die, to be buried, to be raised again. And then look what he says. Of whom I am the worst... He says, man, I'm, I'm worse than all of you. And then he says, but for that very reason, because I was so messed up, for that very reason, God show, has shown me mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, the biggest mess up there is, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. You know what he's saying? God reached down. I know God's going to use me. I know that my life, if God lets me keep living, can make a difference in your life, can help you to grow and bring you greater joy. I know it because here's who I am. I'm someone who has failed so profoundly that if God can use me, he can use anyone. I should be a huge encouragement in your life. And, and he's got this correct view of himself. He knows that he blew it, but that he is invaluable because of what God has done in him. And here's what I want you to see. To survive in this world, to truly live and make a difference, demands. It demands that we think correctly about ourselves, and most of us don't. We've got distorted views. We're seeing through a distorted lens, an exaggerated one or a diminished one. But we need to see ourselves as God sees us. We have to believe in ourselves, in whom God made us to be, and in what God wants to do in our lives. We can't let others distract us. And so this involves honest assessment. We have to be honest about the good and the bad in our lives, about our strengths and our weaknesses. And I'm going to tell you, we inflate these things in our lives or diminish these things in our lives. I know some people who are unbelievably talented, but because they've heard so many times they're nothing, they don't recognize their talent. And it's just waiting there. Forget carpe diem, seize the moment. It's like they're just, they're just living in the prison of the distractions of this world. And there are other people who, who believe, man, I am so awesome at this, and they really aren't. Have, have you ever met someone who thinks they're unbelievable in something, and you're going, you suck. It's like we just don't have an honest assessment of ourselves. And I know some people trying to be great at stuff that they just were never made to do. It's like a three-foot eight-inch person trying to be an NBA player. Look, you might be awesome, but you, you might not should try for the NBA. Right? 
if we're going to ultimately have the correct view of ourselves, then we, we need to have some humility. I mean, we, we, we have, if you don't recognize any of your shortcomings, your weaknesses, if you don't recognize that, that you don't deserve God, you're, you're never going to have the right view of yourself because you think you are God. And if, you, if you're honest, most of us on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis are acting like we're God. We're worthy to make the calls on our life. We even know more than he does. Chuck, what he said, I'm going to do what I want. We, we need humility if we're going to get a correct view of ourselves. I, I love it when Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. I, I don't know if he was the worst of sinners. I kind of doubt it. He, he, he was pretty horrendous, some of the things he did, but I doubt he was the worst of sinners. But he needed to see his unworthiness. I don't think I'm the worst person that's ever lived, but I'm going to tell you, I know me from the inside out, and I'm the only one I know from the inside out, and I'm going to tell you, I'm a mess without Jesus. And it just really helps balance out our view. It doesn't diminish my worth. God made me. It doesn't diminish what God can do because God called me. God redeemed me. But it just helps me to know it's not about me. And that's what Paul's doing here. If we're going to have an appropriate view of ourselves, we have to, we have to understand our value. Our value is not based upon what we do or what we've done or what we accomplish. Our value is based upon the fact that God made us. And he didn't just make me, he made you, which means all of us have this profound value. We come from God, every single one of us. You have profound value. And you, you look at yourself and you diminish your value. You see yourself lesser than what you are because you're seeing in terms of what you've done or haven't done in view of what others have done and haven't done. What people do does not give them value. What, where they come from gives them value. And we come from God. I, I can't tell you how many people, I, I, lately in my life, I mean, because God has chosen to reach down and use me beyond what I've ever deserved or, or, or earned, people, you know, tell me, oh man, you know, you're doing an important work, and, and I hope that's true, but let me just tell you, you don't know how many times in my development years, not my parents, not in my home, but from other angles, because I, I had people look at me and say, you're never going to amount to anything. Basically, you're a barnacle on the butt of humanity. I mean, this is what they told me. And you have to know. I mean, I made a lot of bad choices in life. I got kicked out of four schools. I was just a real mess. And so there were people trying to invest in me, and people would tell them, you're wasting your time on that one. And that can really mess you up, and you can start living to prove them wrong. You can start living for all the wrong reasons and all that. And it took me a while to get to the place where I said, you know what, it doesn't matter what I've done, what I do. It matters who made me? God made me. And when I started getting a correct view of myself, I started functioning at a higher level. And this is where you need to be. We need to get a correct view of ourselves to survive in this world. And most of us, most of you don't have it. If we're going to keep our heads spiritually in this world, then, then we need to not just think correctly about ourselves, we need to think correctly about others. We need to think correctly about others. And I'm going to tell you, because we have such a messed up view of ourselves, very often we have a messed up view of other people. And, and so we diminish their value so that we can start adding to our value. Because we see ourselves as so small, we try and step on the heads of others in order to get bigger. And, and that's why we gut each other. That's why we tear each other by. That's why we're, we're, we're not lifting each other up, but we're pulling each other down. It's because we have the wrong view of ourselves and we have the wrong view of others. We have to, if we're going to survive in this world, we have to turn that upside down. And I want to give you just two examples. I mean, they're pretty clear and pretty obvious. The first one is Jesus with Peter. 
This is such a profound example to me. It's because I, I know that when he's speaking to Peter, he's speaking to me because I'm kind of a mess up like Peter. Peter, Peter wasn't originally named Peter. Did you know that? He was named Simon. And he, he was an okay guy. I'm sure he was a fisherman. He was fulfilling his obligations. Probably a good son. Probably a good brother. But, but, but Simon, when you get to know him in the Bible, he, he was an impetuous punk. And he had an inflated view of himself. I mean, he really did. I mean, he, he talk about a guy who was willing to throw his friends under the bus. Jesus came to him and said, you know, you know, Peter, you're, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, Peter said, oh, no. No. And he literally said, these guys might do that to you. To his friends. These guys might. Not me. And Jesus, Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me three times. And he goes, ah, look, at, I love you more than these guys. And, and not only that, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. And Jesus says, good luck at the rooster crow. You know, it's like, you're going down, pal. He had an inflated view of himself. And so he's impetuous, he's, and he's willing to throw his friends under the bus. He was, had an elevated opinion of himself. He really, it wasn't really, really good. And then he denied Jesus, you know, three times. But, you know, do you know what happened when Jesus was first starting to build a relationship with this guy named Simon? Look at John chapter 1, verse 42. He met him. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And that means rock or stone. There was no one more unstable naturally than Simon, really. And, and Jesus looks at this unstable guy and says, you're a rock. You're a fun. I think his friends probably laughed and said, <laughs> wait till he gets to know him. But see, Jesus was doing what Jesus does. Jesus wasn't seeing him for what he had done. Jesus was seeing him for who God created him to be. And he says, Peter, you're a rock. And you know what happened? I think all his life, Simon was trying to ultimately live down to people's view of him. You're just a fisherman. You're just a nobody. You're just a lowly guy. And then Jesus says, you're a rock. And I believe all of a sudden, Peter started living up to Jesus' view of him. And you know what happened in the end of Peter's life? He became a rock. Why? Because Jesus was willing to speak value into him. Jesus wasn't having to rob him of value to get value for himself. Jesus had the correct view of Peter. and He says, God made you to be a rock, man, and you can do it. And it changed Peter's life. Do you know why so few of us are really seizing God's potential in our lives? It's because we're living down to what other people have said instead of living up to what God has said. Same thing happened with Paul in relationship to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Timothy. People were looking down and saying, who are you to tell us anything? Who are, who are you to lead us? And boy, do I know what that's like when I was a young guy and trying to lead. And, and Paul said, don't let anyone do that to you. God's called you. So set an example for these believers. The ones telling you that you're not worthy to lead them need your leadership in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. And so Timothy, because others were telling him he wasn't worth following, didn't lead, didn't fulfill his call, didn't act. This is where many of us are. And so Paul said, stop doing that. Don't neglect your gift, which was given you. Be diligent in what God's called you to do. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Paul spoke value into Timothy's life because Paul had a correct view of Timothy. He wasn't trying to rob Timothy. He was trying to help Timothy become. To survive in this world, we, to truly live and make a difference demands that we think correctly about others. 
Because if we don't, we'll just be tearing them down. But if we do, we can be maximizing them and encouraging them. Do you know how different this world would be if we had the correct view of ourselves and we had the correct view of others? Do you know how different your family would be if you had the correct view of yourself and the correct view of others? Do you know how different your workplace would be if you had the correct view of yourself and the correct view of others? Do you, do you know how different politics would be if they had the correct view of themselves and the correct view of others? I mean, seriously, all the way around. But it involves some things. It involves something that we don't have on our own, love and compassion. Because we have such a bad view of ourselves, we, we can only love ourselves and have compassion for ourselves and be selfish and all that and, and take to try and fill up our value. But when we have the correct view of ourselves, then we're able to, to have love and compassion on others. The Bible actually says we love because he first loved us. When we know God's love, we don't have to take from others. We can give to them. We can have the correct view of them. It takes a little bit of honesty. It takes some encouragement. It takes unselfish generosity if we're going to have the correct view of others. Giving to others. And I'm going to tell you, I'm so proud of Northridge Church. We're not a perfect church. Obviously, I'm the pastor here. But we, we, uh, we're a church that's growing in our, in our view of others. It's expanding. And last fall, I did this series called All In and asked people to, to step forward in their, in their generosity to, to God so that we can wake more people up to Jesus and show more people his love. And and many of you have done that, which I, I'm so proud of you, and I'm so thankful for you. And as a result, we have the capacity to do now more for others than we did before. And, you know, you've heard about this Nepal earthquake, right? Just this huge devastation on the other side of the planet. You know, it looks like just well over 10,000 people are going to have died, and everybody's displaced. It's a mess. And it would be easy for us to just go on with our life. But I believe if we have the correct view of ourselves and the correct view of others, we'll realize that their lives and their suffering is just as important as our lives and our suffering, and we'll want to show them as love. And so because of you who give to Northridge and have gone all in, we have been able to now, we've viewed out and found partners over there, and we have started to release the first amounts of, of investment over there to help them with the first response, and we're going to keep our eye on that ball and trying to continue to help them as a church. Why? Because we don't want to be so into ourselves that we forget that people need to know the love of Jesus. And, and so it's like, how do we survive in this world where there's so much devastation by having the correct view of ourselves and the correct view of others? But I want you to know that that, that doesn't come on its own. To keep our head spiritually in this world, to have a correct view of ourselves and a correct view of others, it, it ultimately needs to be founded upon having a correct view about God. I mean, we need to think correctly about God. We have to have the right view of God, and, and we don't. We're disappointed with God because he hasn't been the genie in the bottle we thought he was supposed to be, and we're mad at God because he hasn't answered all the prayers that we've prayed the way we wanted them. We're mad at God because... He doesn't become and make himself the, our slave. And if he ever made himself our slave, number one, he'd be my slave but not yours, or he'd be your slave and not mine. And guess what? This would really be a messed up world. But if he ever did that, he wouldn't be God at all. And we need to get a correct view of God. And Paul had a bad view of himself and a bad view of others because he had a bad view of God. But when Jesus came into his life, it all changed. And he got the right view. And look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. He's in prison. And he says, you know, I can do everything. He's in prison. And he said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He, he knew he was in prison. And he knew he was the worst of sinners. And he knew he could do nothing on his own. But he also knew God could change the world through him. 
because God is the God of the impossible. And so he had the right view of God. So his right view of God changed his view of his circumstances. Everybody was saying, how can you have joy in prison? Philippians is a, is a book of joy, and he's in prison. And he could say, how can you have such hope in prison? And how can you still think you can make a difference when you're in prison? And it was because he had the correct view of God. God will never allow me to be in the wrong place. He'll always have me in the right place because God is good and God is just. He can do more with me in prison than me out of prison because God is God. God and I am not and he had the right view of God and it changed the way he's lived and you know why we live so small you know why we're not surviving because we are not viewing God through the right lens I mean it doesn't matter that you're locked away from from something it doesn't matter that your dreams aren't coming true it doesn't matter this I'm not diminishing those because I know how big they are to you but I'm telling you in prison you can be more than out of prison if you have the right view of God and we need to start getting the right view of God because that'll change the view of ourselves and it will change the view of others. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses, starting with verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? He, they were saying, oh, you're bragging on yourself. You're just lifting yourself up. He goes, oh, really? You think we're bragging on ourselves? Okay, jump to verse 4. He says, such confidence as this is ours through Christ our Lord. I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on him. And then he says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. We can't do anything on our own. But our competence and our confidence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers. He knew that if he lived, his life could impact and make a huge difference in other people's lives because he knew that God was the one giving him the capacity and the competence. Do you see this? He had the right view of God so he could have the right view of himself, so he could have the right view of others, and it changed the world. To survive in this world, to truly live and make a difference demands that we start thinking correctly about God. We have to genuinely believe in him. And so what does it involve? It involves a lot of things, but you know the foundation of what it involves? It's simply faith. And I want to show you this verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him has to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If we're going to, if we're going to please God, if we're going to live lives in this world that make a difference, we have to begin with believing that he exists and that he rewards those who pursue him and seek him earnestly. And most people here, not all, because I'm so glad people come to Northridge who aren't yet believers. So glad that you're here, but, but many of us are believers. And most people are going, I believe that. He exists. He rewards those that pursue him. That's great that you say you believe it. But let me ask you, did your belief motivate your practice this last week? I, I, so you're saying, I believe that God exists, and I believe that he, he rewards those that earnestly seek him. So more than anything else this last week, what I did was I made sure I was pursuing God. Now most of us are saying, it's a really nice day. Should I really waste it by going to church? It's weird. I can, attendance patterns at Northridge, and this is weird, and this isn't an attack. It's just an honest truth. Did you know attendance patterns change with the weather? Oh, it's a nice day. I, I know what's going to happen. It's a nice day. Oh, my gosh. Not going to show. I thought no one's going to show up this morning. I really did. I thought no one's going to show up. So you, you're blowing me away. Or it snows. Well, you know, they're not going to do that. Oh, they'd go to work in the snow. They'd go, you know, they'd go to their, their 
favorite sporting event in the snow, but this God thing. You know why? We say we believe he exists and he rewards those that pursue him, but you know what we don't really believe? That he exists and he rewards those who pursue him. We've got the wrong view. We actually think it's a drudgery. It's just, it's killing us. If, if we don't start believing that God is the priority of our lives, we're never going to survive, which explains a lot. And to keep our heads spiritually, I mean, if we're going to have the correct view of God and the correct view of ourselves and the correct view of others and maintain this in a world filled with distraction and darkness, then, then we need to begin thinking correctly about evil and about darkness. And what's just so bizarre to me is how few people really think correctly about evil and about the evil one. I know a ton of people, in fact, if you do polls, you'll see it. There are a ton of people who believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the devil. Well, how can you believe in Jesus who believed heavily and taught heavily about the devil and not believe in the devil? Because you believe in a Jesus you made up. You don't believe in the Jesus who is. Everybody wants to make up a Jesus. Jesus is like this. Nothing's wrong. Everything's good. Everything's okay. He just loves, 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 loves and never holds anyone accountable for anything. Wouldn't that be sweet? It's just not true. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 14. This is a powerful truth to me. The, the wise man has eyes in his head. The fool walks in the darkness. Now, obviously, we're talking about bigger things than our physical eyes. Most people, eyes wide open, don't see anything. They don't see the hole in the fence. They, they don't see the zombie. They don't see evil. The wise man has eyes in his head. He's aware. He's looking. If you're going to survive in this world, you have to begin thinking correctly about evil. It's there, and it's taking everyone down who doesn't realize it. Look at John 10, 10. Jesus said it. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Guess he believes in the devil. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. We have to start thinking correctly about evil. To survive in this world, to truly live and make a difference, demands that we understand it, that we genuinely believe in it, that, that we're on the lookout for it. it. Involves having eyes in our head, a little bit of wisdom, being alert. And so what I want to do, I've given you, I've given you the... the the metaphor. But I have found that with these principles, they're, they're so easy to say and so difficult to do in my own life that I've had to come up with some, some clearly expressed action steps that I take. And I don't do this with every talk, but, but in this talk, the only way I can bring it down, I think, into a helpful conclusion for you is by giving you some action steps like I've had to give myself. Some things you can do so that you can get the right view of God, the right view of yourself, the right view of others, and the right view of evil so that you can survive in this world. And so, uh, here's the first thing. If, if you're really going to survive and live in this world and make a difference, then you need to make knowing and understanding God your priority in life. You, you need to make knowing and understanding God your priority in life. And by the way, your priority in life is the thing you do most of. So in any given week, it's your priority that gets your time. You do know that, right? Whether you have written priorities or not, it's your priority that gets your time. 
If your priority is your hobby, that's what gets your time. If your priority is your work, that's what gets your time. If your priority is your marriage or your family, that's what gets your time. If, if your priority is your working on your house, what a waste, right? <laughs> it's like, then, then that's what gets your time. If, you're, whatever, if your priority is pleasure, that's what gets your time. If we're going to really survive and live in this world, God's got to be our priority. Hey, look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says, the prophet Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. Now, can I stop? What are the three things that people boast about in this world? Their wisdom, their strength, or their prosperity. And what does God say? Don't boast in those things. What are most people's priorities centered on? Wisdom, strength, and riches. What does God say shouldn't be your priority? Those three things. Look what he says. If you're going to brag about something, brag about this, that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. We need to start making God our number one priority if we're going to survive in this world. If we're going to survive in this world, we need to stay alert to and aware of evil. We need to stay alert to and aware of evil in the world and in our lives. Peter figured this out after he, he started becoming a rock, after living like a Simon for so long. Look at 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Stay awake. Be on the lookout. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know what happens when we don't stay alert? We get devoured. That's what happens. The good news spiritually is that no matter how bad the attack of the devil gets, God always provides a hole in the fence. But we're not looking for the hole in the fence. We're not looking for God's escape route because we're not even aware of evil. Every day we get up and it's trying to take us down. We are never safe. But we're not on the lookout for it, so we're not on the lookout for God's escape route, so we lose our heads and we get trapped just like they did in that video. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I honestly, because I really believe this zombie apocalypse thing is such a great metaphor to our spiritual world, I, I don't believe anyone can give us better counsel as it relates to staying alert and aware to evil in this world better than Rick talking to his son Carl in The Walking Dead. That is the truth about evil in this world. You are never safe. And I'm telling you, I know Christians all over. I'm a pastor for gosh sake, and I do it in my own life. Where I wake up every day and I feel pretty safe. Everything's pretty good. That's when we go down. Stay alert. Be awake to evil in this world, but in your own, your own life. If we're going to ultimately survive in this world and make a difference, then we have to develop knowledge, understanding, and acceptance of our potential. You know, having a correct view of ourselves doesn't happen naturally because the world's always distracting us and always tearing us down and always ripping us apart, always telling us we're less than what we are or more than what we are. Some of you who have accomplished some great things, people tell you how great you are. Thanks for coming to church this weekend so I could tell you you're not. You're not great. 
God may have used you for great things, allowed you to accomplish great things. You're not great. And if you're married, your third wife will tell you. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I don't know. We have to develop an understanding and an acceptance of our potential. Uh, psalm 139, the psalmist in verse 14 finally came to grips with it. He says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We battle with that. We, we look at others because of what they've done or haven't done and we think they're wonderfully made but we're not. We've been ripped off or, or sometimes when we've been successful we look at others and say, man, I bet you they wish they were me. I mean, really, we have these two sides of the coin. They're both messed up big time. And what we have to realize is that, that it's God who's great and he's made us perfectly for what he wants to do and when we walk with him, we can experience the beauty of that. I, I want to encourage you that we, we try and do things here at Northridge all the time that can help you invest in developing knowledge and understanding acceptance of your potential. I mean, in everything we do, spiritually and in other ways. And, and we've actually pursued, I mean, we've pursued it big time and we were able to, to get it. But we've pursued the event that was announced in Northridge News this morning and, and, uh, and we're offering to you called the Leadership Summit because this is a way that we think we can invest in your understanding of your capacities and your abilities to make a difference in your sphere of influence. And that Leadership Summit came on there and because we're hosting it and because of the special relationship we have them, you can save a little $100 off of the cheap price we already have and you can come for 89 bucks, invest in this where it costs thousands upon thousands upon thousands if you were to go even to a couple of these speakers in, the, in, in, in a marketplace conference. And most people are going, yeah, yeah, nah, nah. And you know why? Because you don't even believe you're a leader. You don't believe you can make a difference. And I'm going to tell you something. Every single Christian has been called to be a leader. Everyone. You know how I know this? In absolute darkness, who's the leader? I'm going to tell you, in absolute darkness, the leader's the one with the flashlight. Do you see how smart I am? I mean, my IQ's high. Do you know what God calls us? The light of the world. We're the light of the world. We're the ones with the light. What are we called to be? Leaders. Why don't we? Because we have the wrong view of ourselves and we have the wrong view of others and we have the wrong view of the world and we have the wrong view of God. And what we need to do is we need to get right. We need to start developing ourselves in these areas. And I just encourage you, you won't get hurt by going to that leadership summit. I, I think it's for every single one of you. I'm not kidding. I really do. And uh, I, I, I hope that you'll take advantage of it. Special code and thing and all that stuff. And last thing. We need to start believing in and we need to start caring about those that God has placed in our sphere of influence. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We need to start believing in and caring about those that God has placed in our sphere of influence. It's great that we as a Northridge family, because of our giving, can help Nepal and India and so many of the other places that we're investing in, like Zambia and Detroit. But you know what? It's not good enough if we as a church organization, because of our investments together, help the world, if each one of us aren't caring about and trying to help our neighbor, our coworker, the people in our sphere of influence. How awful is it that 
we would care about someone in Zambia, but we wouldn't care about our neighbor, our community. And that comes from us. We, we have to start caring about these people. And it's so easy to get distracted by our own lives, just like you got distracted by that zombie earlier, but I'm going to tell you something. We lose our heads, we lose our lives. We keep our heads, we keep our lives. It's time we keep our heads. Don't let anything distract you. Keep your eye on God and take his view of yourself and others in the world. And don't ever forget about evil because you're never safe, but there's always the hole in the fence that God has for you. And so how I want to end this weekend isn't with some big kind of charge out. I, I want to end with prayer. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you, if you would, just to bow with me in a word of prayer. And you may be at one of our regional campuses. You might be online. You might be here in Plymouth. But I, I just want to encourage you, if you are here in Plymouth, at one of our regional campuses, I just want to encourage you that the conversation with God shouldn't end when I end this prayer. The conversation with God should continue. And I know that some of you are in a place where you don't want to have that conversation alone. You, you're in a place spiritually where you need to ask some questions. Maybe you've never ever come into a relationship with Jesus. You need to have someone tell you how you can do that and help you do that. And, or maybe you just need someone praying for you. And, and so we have that opportunity here. When I end my prayer and most people are leaving, if you want to talk to someone or you want to trust Christ or you want to be prayed for or prayed with, all you have to do is come forward and sit in the front areas of this auditorium or the auditorium you're in, and our prayer team will come to you. And I hope that you'll do that if God's speaking to you in a big way. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for everyone who's here. They set aside all kinds of things they could be doing, as many others have, and they came. And I pray, God, that you would open their eyes to who you really are, to who they really are, to who others really are, and to what evil really is. And help us, wide-eyed, walk through this life, trusting you like Paul, investing in others, and seizing our potential. And I'll thank you for the way the light shines as a result. Let Northridge be a place of blinding light because the people who make up the spiritual community have the right view. They keep their heads. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time. <clears throat>